I'd invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to John chapter number one, the Gospel of John chapter number one. This morning I intend to answer the, the questions of two familiar Christmas carols. What child is this? And who is he in yonder stall? That is, what is so special about the child who was born to Mary? Who was the babe in the manger? And to answer those questions, we would naturally go to the Bible record uh, of Jesus' birth and the Gospels. We could go to Matthew chapter 1. We could go to Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark doesn't pick up the life of Christ until after he was a grown man. But then the Gospel of John begins begins before Jesus became a man. That is from eternity past. And so to answer our questions about the Christ child this morning, we do so from the Gospel of John and learn that the infant in Bethlehem was in fact the infinite God. I've written there at the top of your notes, the Gospel of John takes us back to the beginning and tells us that Jesus had no beginning. He is the infinite God. And so I invite you to turn with me there to John chapter one, from which I prepared a message titled, When the Infinite Became an Infant. Let's pause for prayer and then we'll study together. God in heaven, we thank you for your grace your marvelous grace, your amazing grace that has appeared to, to men and bringing us all salvation, if we believe. We thank you, Lord, for that. And God, now as we study the, the scripture, we pray that your spirit might illumine the text to us, give us understanding. May your spirit be our teacher. And Lord, may we celebrate not just the babe in the manger, but the Christ of the cross, the infinite God of gods, Lord of lords and King of kings, for I pray it in his name, amen. John chapter one, beginning in verse number one, follow it as I read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Number one from John chapter one, the reality of the word, the reality of the word. Before time and space began, something or someone already existed. That something or someone that was in the beginning was the word. Verse number one says in the beginning was the word. Okay, you ask, what was the word that was? And while I might sound like Dr. Seuss, I'm not trying to be funny. What was the word that was in the beginning? The word is the Greek logos. In the beginning was the logos. Now, to the ancient Greek philosophers, the logos was that which had always existed, had never changed, was always true. To the ancient Greek philosophers, the logos was the unidentifiable abstract principle of origin and order in the universe. The logos, John says, was in the beginning. There's a book that I have in my, my office library. It's a textbook that haunts me to this day with memories from my college history of philosophy class. And it's a book, for some reason I've kept it, it's a book titled Fails to Dewey. Fails to Dewey. Now, the first pages of that book say that Greek philosophy began on May 28th, 585 BC at 613 in the evening. On May 28th, 585 BC at 6.13 in the evening, a solar eclipse occurred. 
And what was special about that solar eclipse at that time was that an astronomer named Thales speculated about it, thus the beginning of philosophy. Of course, I think that's ridiculous. Are you to tell me that no one before Thales ever speculated about life or ever stared into the sky and speculated about life? We know that in Psalm 8, David looked into the sky, saw the stars, the moon, the things that God had created and marveled how that the God creator of the universe would be mindful of men. We know that King Solomon was a a philosopher. But at any rate, I, I digress. This book here, Fails to Dewey, my textbook for my college history of philosophy class, um, introduced us to all of these philosophers. Now maybe uh, you've never heard about Thales, but I'm sure you've heard about Dewey, John Dewey. He was a modern philosopher that wrote volumes and volumes on epistemology or the, the study of knowledge. John Dewey, of course, contributed to the public education system in this country, and he originated the library catalog system that we know of as the Dewey Decimal System, one of the reasons that I don't care for John Dewey. (laughs) But I digress again. This is where I'm going. From my college textbook, Thales to Dewey, there is a chapter about a philosopher named Heraclitus. Now Heraclitus was an Ephesian philosopher who lived some 500 years before Jesus Christ and Heraclitus is the one who introduced the notion of logos. The Stoic philosophers then uh, took over the concept. It was adopted by an Alexandrian philosopher named Philo and it was even used by the Apostle John here in the Gospel of John. You see, in ancient Greek philosophy, the Logos was that which had always existed, had never changed, and was always true. The Logos was the unidentifiable abstract principle of origin and order in the universe. But here in the Gospel of John, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, the Apostle John employs this philosophical category, the notion of the Logos, and he identifies the Logos, which was from the beginning, as something more than an idea. But as, in fact, a person, as God, verse number one. And if you're a Greek man or a a Greek woman reading John's gospel in the first century, you are amazed that the Apostle John is identifying the Logos, that which is unidentifiable. And John says the Logos is a he. And he is first eternal. And by echoing the first chapter of Genesis where the Bible says, in the beginning God, John is now saying, in the beginning was the word. The verb there was, it's I, me, it's in the imperfect tense, describing pre-existence that has continuous existence. The Pastor Matt paraphrase of verse number one, I would put it this way, at the beginning, at the time of the beginning, the word already was. And furthermore, the word of God, the word and God were together at that time in the beginning. But beyond that, not only was the word in the beginning and not only was the word with God in the beginning, the word was God, which is really John's second point there. He is deity. This logos, this word is eternal and is deity. In the beginning, the Logos was in fact God himself. Now, there are those like the Jehovah Witnesses who will argue that John 1 verse 1 should be translated, the word was with God and the word was a God. 
Since God here is an arthurist, that means there's no definite article the or, or, or the. It's, it's um, there before the, the word God. They believe that the word is not the God or the word, but a God. If you've ever had a Jehovah Witness come to your door to engage you uh, about their beliefs, the deity of Jesus Christ will come up and this text will be a critical point of interpretation for you. The absence of the definite article the does not make God indefinite. In fact, Theos, translated God here, appears four more times in this immediate context in verse six, verse 12, verse 13, verse 18, and even the Jehovah Witnesses' New World Translation renders the anarthrous construction as a God in, in those verses, or not even their translation is what I'm saying, is even in their own translation, it, it's, it's not a God, even though it's anarthrous without the definite article. The, the logos, the word, was and is God, he is deity. Look at verse number three. All things were made through him, without him nothing was made that was made. If you were to complete my outline, what would you say, letter C? He's eternal, he's deity, he is what? In letter C, verse number three tells us clearly, he is creator. The eternal God of verses one and two is the creator God according to verse number three and not even one thing exists apart from from him. Colossians one verses 16 and 17, I've given you the scripture reference there for by him, that's by Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and in earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things consist. This logos, the word, God himself is creator. Verses four and five, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. the, The choir sang of this just a few moments ago, he is life and light. Now, remember, again, the ancient understanding of the Logos. The ancient Greek philosophical category or idea of the Logos, it was used to identify the unknown origin and order of all that existed. And that philosophical category of Logos was the force, if you will, air quotes, the force that was credited with light and life according to Greek philosophy. But the force or the logos that John is declaring is not a force at all. It is a person, it is God. And just as Genesis declares God in the beginning creating life and light, so also does John chapter one. Now, at this point we're still speaking in in some vague terms. John has taken an ancient Greek category of logos, or the word, this philosophical construct, and John has declared it to be a him, a he in your notes, specifically God. But the category of God can be pretty vague as well. Who is God? Where is God? 
What does God look like? And one might even contend that the notion of God is just a religious category to describe the abstract principle of origin and order in the universe. All that John has done here is take a philosophical category of logos and he's framed it in religious terminology, the category of God. And so while we're pleased to know of the reality of the word, number one, we need something more to go on because the word is still unidentifiable to us at this point. Which is why Roman numeral number two is so important. Beyond the reality of the word is the revelation of the word, the revelation. And in verses six through nine now, we read about one named John the Baptist who introduced the word to the world. Look at verse number six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not to be confused with the apostle John, this is John the Baptist as we discover later uh, in, in the verses to follow. This man, John the Baptist, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. For centuries, Greek philosophy had been unable to positively identify the logos, the source of origin and order in the universe, that which had always existed, that which had never changed, that which had always been true. But here now in his gospel, the apostle John declares the logos to be God, and furthermore, this God sent a man named John the Baptist to give testimony to the Logos. And the words here in the text, witness or bear witness, are are legal terms that refer to statements of fact in a court of law. So this is not a matter of opinion or ideas or speculation or philosophy any longer. We have moved from the abstract philosophical categories to something concrete like statements of fact and testimony in a court of law. For God, the Logos, wanted to make himself known to man. God wanted to reveal himself to man. So God sent John the Baptist to testify. Verse 15, if you cheat ahead there, verse 15 tells us that John bore witness of him. Okay, but... The revelation of the word, this is number two, the revelation of the word was not just John the Baptist's testimony. Beginning in verse number 10, the gospel writer takes the abstract, metaphysical, transcendent, philosophical idea of the word and the religious category of God and he explains how he came down to earth. Look at verse number 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. We're speaking of this, this, this creator, the origin and order of the universe. Look at verse number 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glories of the, glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Folks, I'm here to declare to you this morning that the infinite God became an infant. The infinite became an infant and that is the Christmas story. And all of this time in these verses, John has been speaking of Jesus Christ. John has been describing the incarnation of the Son of God, the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal, that's subpoint letter A, the divine, letter B, the creator God, letter C, who is the source of life and light, letter D, is in fact Jesus Christ. The infinite became finite. John MacArthur says it this way, eternity entered time. 
the invisible became visible, the creator entered his creation. And the most profound truth in this text for our our purposes this morning isn't the reality of the word, that's number one. It's the revelation of the word, that's Roman numeral number two. Genesis one declares the reality of the word. Reading from the beginning of your Bible, you would know the reality of the word. In the beginning, God created. However, now in John chapter one, there's the revelation of the word. God became flesh and dwelt among us. It was in the great Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that Charles Wesley has written this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God became flesh and dwelt among us, verse number 14. That is the revelation of the word. That is the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ. You say, okay, but how does that work? The the marvelous mystery of the, the incarnation, how does the infinite become finite. That's a paradox. That's contradictory. The miracle of of miracles of the Christmas story was not the virgin birth. However, that was supernatural to be sure, no doubt about it. Supernatural, extra natural, a virgin birth. The miracle of miracles is the fact that God became a man while remaining God. You see, that, that, that's the question of the Christmas carols. Who is he in yonder stall? What child is this? They're good questions. That the infant baby was the infinite God is a logical impossibility. But it's a theological truth that is fundamentally important to the Christian faith. Theologians call it the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. That God became flesh while remaining God. Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. And historically, it's been best articulated at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. At at that time, great men of faith assembled to affirm this truth, and and I wanna give you what they wrote. It's, It's heavy, I'll have it there on the screen, it's on the back of your notes. We aren't going to study it in detail We're not gonna get stuck studying ancient creeds and confessions, but this is important. Therefore, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us regards his manhood like us in all respects apart from sin, as regards his Godhead begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards his manhood begotten for us men and for our salvation of the Virgin Mary, the God-bearer. Continuing, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, divine nature and human nature, but without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of the natures being in no way annulled by the union. 
but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and substance. One person, two natures, is what they're saying. Not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son, only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from the earliest times spoke of him and our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us. Folks, that is a very long sentence. And that is some heavy theology, an enormous body of truth to wrap your mind around. However, this is the best that man has been able to do to explain the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so you see, Christmas isn't only a quaint, sentimental story about shepherds and sheep and swaddling cloths. It is that God became man without ceasing to be God. That the word, the logos, that unidentifiable origin and order in the universe, he, God, became man, revealing himself to us, dwelling among us, for without the the revelation of God to man in the person of Jesus Christ, the best that man can ever do is to simply speculate and philosophize. So what do we do? What do we do with this bomb that John drops on the Greek world in the first century? What do we do now as we read this in the 21st century? And I would would say number three, there is a response to the word, a necessary response. Look at verse number 10. He was in the world. The world was made through him and the world did not know him. Letter A, he is ignored. He is ignored. Many times during the Christmas season, Jesus Christ is ignored. With all the tinsel and the trappings and the food and the festivities, it's easy to ignore him. Our, our attention and our affection gets captured by the, the commercialism of our culture and the sentiment of the holiday. In fact, today it's politically incorrect to declare Christmas to be about Jesus Christ. It's even a bit politically incorrect even to say Merry Christmas. You know what I do? Every chance I get, I I say Merry Christmas. There. Christmas. It's about Christ. But it's in fact always been that way. Other than Mary and Joseph and some shepherds, Jesus Christ was pretty much ignored and the world has been indifferent to the word all along. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've even thought, you would confess, you'd say, well, pastor, you know, I've been of a mind to to think that uh, I'll worry about these things when I'm older. Perhaps at another time, a later date, I'm, I'm busy with my career, my family. There's so much to do, I... I just, you know, maybe some other time. Dear friend, do not ignore Jesus Christ. God revealed himself to man in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 11. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Beyond being ignored, Jesus is often rejected. 
Jesus came to those who should have known him best as a Jew to the Jews. He was the Messiah that the Hebrew people had been waiting for. Every book in the Old Testament testified to him and they rejected him and they nailed him to a cross of wood. But once again, even today, man rejects Jesus Christ. And perhaps you would confess having the thought, I don't need Jesus. Jesus is for religious fanatics. It's a, it's a crutch of religion that many need, but I don't need him. And I would say to you, dear friend, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth because you need him. Because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. Do not reject Jesus Christ. Verse number 12. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power, the right, the, uh, the access to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So what do I say to you this morning? I say he must be received. We must receive Jesus Christ by faith and trust him for the forgiveness of our sin and the salvation of our souls. And that is what the rest of this gospel is all about. It's the message of Christmas. You may be familiar with John chapter three, verse 16, the great gospel verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a great Christmas verse, the greatest of gifts. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was a Scottish-born theologian, John Murray. John Murray was a professor at Princeton until Princeton went liberal and he became one of the founders of Westminster Theological Seminary but he wrote this and it's copied for you there also on the back of your notes the infinite became finite that's where I stole my title the eternal entered time and became subject to its conditions the immutable became mutable the invisible became visible the creator became created. This is where John MacArthur stole the, 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 the saying that, I, that I, I cited just a moment ago. John Murray, he says, the sustainer of all became dependent. Remember that unidentifiable origin and order in the universe, that Greek category of philosophy called the logos? The almighty became infirm. God became man that he may die and by his death destroy the works of the devil and take away our sin. Folks, who is he in yonder stall? Or what child is, is this? It is God who became flesh to be a man so that he could die as the Lamb of God and take away the sin of the world. This morning, this Christmas, I would ask you to push aside all of the holiday happenings and think about Jesus Christ, the infinite God. Is he your savior and is he your Lord? Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for the revelation of yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, without Jesus Christ, the best we can do is, is philosophize about the unknown, 
But Lord, the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might have the forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. I pray, God, if there is some under the sound of my voice this morning that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that by your grace, the amazing grace that we heard of this morning, the marvelous grace, you would draw them to yourself and grant them the faith to believe for their salvation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.